Wait, how was uh, Indiana? How was your vacation from with your, with your family? Clear like Indiana, clear like Indiana, clear like cousins, Indiana. I think my cousins. I think my cousins actually have a. This is funny. My cousins are married to brothers. Like my tw- my cousin's sisters are married to brothers. So like, my cousin married this guy John, mm-hmm. and then John has a brother Dan, and my cousin has a sister, my cousin, and so. Two pairs of brothers and two pairs of sisters no. married into the same family. I have to tell you. Very fun. I'm a firm Very no. Fun. I'm a firm no it's... on it. It feels like incest, but it's so not, is the thing. Here's the thing. But I think if, they have a place on Killer something Lake. where, don't they call it a thing where if both of those couples have kids, their kids are like, what are, how are their kids? Siblings? Yeah. <laughs> something gross. Wait, incredible. Well, have you seen those stories of like identical twins marrying identical twins? Yes. And then like. I'm not okay with it, <clears throat> Carrie. I have to take a stand. And here, where better to do it than here? Than here, on the safety of our podcast. Listen, that's why I'm just not going to get married or have kids, because I feel like I won't run the risk of eking you out. Yeah, that's really important. And it's important. I think in this working relationship, I don't want to freak you out. No, I really don't want you to freak me out either. Thank you so much for making that sacrifice. (sighs) Honestly, Quinn, you're so welcome. Stay alone. Stay alone. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, tell me, how was Clear Clear Water, Clear Lake? Clear Lake. It was clear, great. Clear body of water. It was a great clear ocean. trip. It was um, a cute little cabin, um, nothing fancy. It has so much rust in the water that when you wash your clothes, it turns them orange. But it was very, very, very cute. And Matt and I slept what in a double feel- bed, which felt like more intimate than I was prepared for. <laughs> Yeah, you're used to a king-size bed. I was like, stop touching me. And he's like, I actually can't. We have to be this physically close in this bed. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I tried to just like put the rage aside and deal with it. And And then did the kids hop in bed with you guys too? They had their own bedroom that had a pack and play and a single bed in it. And they did great. Koa would visit us a lot at night. And the first night especially, he saw a lot of ghosts. He kept coming in and being like, oh, mama, there's so many ghosts in my room and it's the darkness. What happens is when it's this dark where I'm sleeping, all the shadows turn into big, dark ghosts. And I was like, okay, so we had to like get him um, a nightlight. But he he did pretty well. I think that it was a great trip because we were actively in the water at all times doing kind of water adventuring and Matt got to inner tube. The kids both... Griff's too little and Co is too scared. So Matt did a lot of inner Wait, tubing. Inner tubing is so Pulling much fun. It, yeah, on the back of the boat. So fun. Really great. Oh and my the God. Amish was... are out there and we got some baked goods from the Amish. And Ugh, always trust an Amish with a baked good. You want and little a Mennonite, you want an Amish, you want someone, you want someone with a bonnet making your pies. Yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. I um, feel like one helps with the hair, no cross contamination, but also I just trust them. I do. I really trust them. Oh, my God. I just got a phishing text that I really like. Hello. I'm sorry to bother you. Your number appears in my address book, but I forget who you are. Have we met before? (laughs) 
oh my God, someone texted me and was like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't have this number. Like, who is this? You know, I don't know. I give my number out to anybody who asks. And um, I just don't always respond. And of course, it was someone that was like, oh, I'm sorry. It's me, Tiffany. We haven't met. And it was like they sent a picture of themselves. And I said, that's that's for sure not you. There's there's no way. There's no way, Tiffany. That's not you. Are you going to reply? I reported it as junk. Um, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Matt gets into full conversations with these people. Somebody was like, are you still you coming remember? to the house on the Monday? And he's like, yes, of course. Do you still have that swimming pool shaped like a donut? And the person will write back and be like, no, the Malibu Beach home. And he'll be like, Bobby? oh, the Malibu Beach home. I can't wait. Are we going to make that funny cocktail sassafras pineapple again? And like Matt just like is like having a great time. Is this a moment where you say, Matt, I get need a job. you to get a job. Get a fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. That is definitely, that's 100% of time when I say that. Oh, you want to hear a, a true crime in the neighborhood? A true crime There's happening. There's something strange in and the neighborhood. It is so strange. You're not even Wait, ready. Wait, tell me. I don't think yes, you're ready for this jelly. Okay. There is an old woman in this neighborhood who has been asking people for money and kind of roughing them up if they say no. And she's an old woman. And roughing them up? What do you mean, roughing them up? She'll go up to you and be like, give me money. And if you're like, no, she'll like slap you (laughs) or she'll like grab your arm. She just like hurts you physically if you don't give her money. And she, people are talking about her on like, the parenting all the boards, apps, all the apps, give me the, apps, like the, give me the Facebook, next door app, the like give Facebook neighborhood group. Yes. She's being really aggressive. She's hurting people, and like she is like even hurting kids. Yeah. Oh so, no. So like a woman was out with like her twelve year old, and she saw the twelve year old had money and tried to take it out of his hands. And when he like didn't give it to her, she like tried to hit him. So then people are commenting <sighs> on this, and they're like, "I know where she lives, and she's really rich." Is the other thing about her. So she's oh, lives she with might her be kids. Like, and does she have like dementia? Or she something? must. She must. But like, how old? She, she might be like that's like some stuff from like the Great Depression. She's you know a what I mean? rich like, she old does. woman is walking around my neighborhood beating people up and trying to take their money. It is the strangest thing ever. There's been so much that's happened that we haven't talked about and that we probably would have talked about over just the past year, just in this podcast because we haven't been able to talk about it. Like, um. Oh, you want to do like a highlights reel? Like, do you feel like we should have like a PowerPoint where we're like, in January, what we <laughs> the missed, big news? Just go was... on Patreon. Just go on Patreon. No, but I think we we really didn't talk about the Titan, and that was so sad. The only like peaceful thing too about it is it happened so quick that it was like it didn't yeah register like they couldn't or something. Even, they yeah, didn't, they couldn't no. even like feel. Pain. I do think that whenever you read about a death, there is something super comforting about the idea that a person didn't know they were going to die. I wouldn't want to know. The, but it was it was wild. The stuff coming out of that story of like how they were functioning this submarine. Like, did you see that it was like uh, an off brand game? controller no did you see this no i didn't oh my god quinn okay so in when it was all coming out everybody was like looking into everything and what was happening and you know trying to figure out what was going on and the way that the submarine was controlled was from a logitech like playstation knockoff game controller 
So they were like, how are you? Fu-? It's like one of those um, with like the cursors. Mm-hmm. That's how they were navigating this submarine to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, my God. And so what's crazy is apparently when it imploded and they had footage of like the imploded thing, apparently the, there was like you see the Logitech game controller in the sand by the wreckage of the Titanic. Jesus. It was wild. So dark, so dark. Really dark. Really creepy. Really. Truly. Darkly. Creepy. Welcome. I'm Carrie Ipema. I'm Quinlan Posner. And And this is Truly Darkly Creepy. It's us. We're back. We have a show. You missed it. Now you're not missing it. Now you wish it would go away. (laughs) Stop fighting with us so much. Wait, so question, You were you upset at the rust on your clothes in Clearwater, Clear Lake? Clearwater, Florida? Clear Lake, <laughs> Indiana? No, I mean, it was, you know, you know what? It kind of looks like a bad dye job, like a cool, funky tie-dye situation, and I'm rolling with it. I will tell you <laughs> that the lake is six and a half miles around, and I ran around it twice. Wait, in the same day? No, on different days, <clears throat> but still... I did do the run, and then I lived to tell the tale, and then I went back and tried it once more. Six, and did you run the whole time? No, I didn't. I really tried, but I didn't. But I probably ran four of the six miles or five, maybe. Did you think about... um, I listened to podcasts. Water chasing you? Oh, my God, right? (laughs) In our Patreon, we made a joke that was... Well, it was... We talked about... I just recently talked about the 1964 earthquake in Alaska, Mm -hmm. and the side effects that killed the most people were the tsunamis that happened from the earthquake and in a certain town the only people that survived the tsunami were the people that outran it and so quinn and i had said hey maybe we should use that instead of thinking that someone is chasing you and trying to attack you think of it as you're out one outrunning a tsunami and that you have an opportunity like a chance i mean like it's like usually you think tsunami you just think that's it. That's a death sentence. But apparently not. Apparently you cannot apparently run not. them. So you can run, run, it. run as fast as you can. Now, I don't think I've ever run a mile straight. Really? Here's, my, here's the thing. No, I don't think I ever have. I can't do it. I think my boobs are too big. I think you have run a mile and you're confused about how long a mile is because... I'm not. I'm really not, Quinn. I can tell you, I I get so bored when I am running. I get... And I, and I can only think about the parts of my body that hurt when mm-hmm. I do it. I can't do it. I can't. Like whenever it's why whenever I work I think the marathon you maybe or I watch the marathon, I just get... am bawling. I'm crying because right. I'm like these people are so brave. You're like, oh, I thought you're like I wish I could do it. Please stop. I do. I wish I could do it, but I, I thought you were I... crying angry tears, which I like to picture you watching a marathon and crying <laughs> tears of anger and rage. Just <laughs> anger and rage. Fuck you! No. Just Fuck on the sidelines screaming at everybody. Are you trying to make me look bad and feel bad? <laughs> no, I think I've always wanted to do a marathon and every time I watch a marathon I'm like maybe this is the year this is the year but I gotta you tell do, you do it's not gonna one. happen no just do a little one do a 5k or something do something chill um I did the, the women's half marathon I told you that though but um I forget because I if I if I knew you did that I would think more of you and I can't handle the inequality of it you yeah. know what I mean I have to you it doesn't balance with what you think of me no, I understand it that it really doesn't I have to oh my I gosh, have to keep I have my to sanity. tell you what we did on Sunday because it's something you would love and I bet you're going to want to go with us next time we do it okay so there's something called Rock and Roll Playhouse and I got to just shout them out what they do is they are a cover band 
for things like David Bowie, Fish, uh, Van Morrison, Bruce Springsteen. They do all different. Um, I think some of the band stays the same and the singer changes, but they're yeah. a cover band. And they perform an hour-long concert for kids of those songs. And so they'll turn one of the songs into the into a freeze song. They'll do a parachute at some point, and they have somebody out on the dance floor with the kids kind of being like, wow, that's the bassist. And do you know what? Like, like explaining everything. And basically, what? it's like, we're going to do like this concert. We went to the Taylor Swift one on Sunday at Brooklyn oh, Bowl. Oh, my God. And we like danced with the kids. Griffin couldn't nap because the concert was during his nap and Griff was dancing so hard and then I held him and he fell asleep on me during the concert. Both my kids were wearing noise-canceling headphones because they're a little sensitive, but they were like jamming and Griff falls asleep on me. He's dead asleep, like sweating on me. And then he just lifts his head at some point and looks at me and goes, it's so exciting. And then he fell back asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I I am bursting. I am so what? cute. It was so cute. You know, Co is at zoo camp, and he I, I, when he came home yesterday, I was like, Matt and I were like, "What'd you do at zoo camp?" And he goes, "I made my own poop." And there was just a <laughs> pause, and then Matt goes, "Yeah, we did that here too." <laughs> and ours was free. His yeah. cost money, unfortunately. Yeah. So he says he gets to own- bring home the poop at the end of the week, and you better believe I'm excited to lay my hands on it. What did he make it out of? I don't know. I was just like, what are you talking about? Do you think it's like about? a baby shower game where they put like candy in a diaper? Um, I think that they are talking about different kinds of scat because they're zoo detectives and they're looking at different footprints and scat to try to determine what right. animal left it behind. So I think That's he probably really got cute. to make maybe like fox poop or God forbid bear poop. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. It really could go either way is the deal. I'll put it we in your know. room for when you get back in September. <gasps> Please put I'll it, put it on your pillow. Pillow <laughs> <laughs> poops with an Andy's mint on top. <laughs> mm, minty. <laughs> or maybe even embedded. So you have to search for it. Yeah, fun. who knows? Who knows? Fun. It sounds like it's going to be great fun. I can't wait. I can't wait. Why don't we do All some right, stories? Should I, should I tell a story? Hold yeah, on. Yeah, I wish stretch. you would. I wish you Ooh, big stretch. Wet leg. <sighs> What's wet leg? Well, what that is feels what leg? Good. That stretch feels good. What is what leg? Mm. It's an incredible band. Oh, cool! I've played you their song, um, "She's Long." She's long. She's long. Um, what She's is lounge. It? Um, uh, I'm just no, going to keep from... pretending I mishear it. <laughs> this conversation's going nowhere. <laughs> I hope this so you whole know. episode is that. What? What? What did you say? <laughs> huh? Ooh. Okay. So I'm telling the story of Michelle Notech. I got this information from Wikipedia, Daily Mail, Medium, all that's interesting. Why do I this know the story? That name? I, I pitched it. I don't think I actually, I don't know if I, I might have pitched it. Look at you how worried you are that Michelle you know that name. Notech. Okay. So <gasps> her name is Michelle. I know why I know this. Why? I read a horrible book about this woman. Oh, did you read the book about what that featured her daughters? Yes. Quinn? It's horrifying. Okay. Okay. (laughs) She is the scariest person in the world, I think. It's truly terrifying. We talk about these stories, and I think with this one, it, we could, yeah, this was a hard one. Is it called like Never Tell or something like that? Yeah. Oh, God. 
It's really scary. It's fucking scary. Well, that's why when I did last week's episode, I was like, I'm going to do something a little bit lighter because this one is dork. It's really fucking it's dork. excited. So we're going to call Michelle Shelley because that's what she calls herself. And um, I'm afraid of her. So I'll, I will honor what You'll she calls die. herself. Yeah. So she grew, she grew up in um, Raymond, Washington, and she really didn't leave. That's where she stayed when she became an adult. But a little bit about her um, upbringing because, you know, here we are. We like to sort of give a full picture of the people. But I got to tell you, she's a monster. Anyway. <laughs> It's hard because like you can have spoiler. She's a fucking monster. But I think what's hard about it, too, is like you can look at someone's upbringing and we've talked about this so many times, but it's like you see the hardship she had. But there are people that have experienced that hardship all the time who don't turn out to be a fucking monster like this woman. Mm -hmm. So she is the oldest of three siblings and her mom um, was very mentally ill. She was an alcoholic. And um, I think she had a pretty tough childhood right like from when she was born to when she was six years old her mom was around and i don't think it was a safe situation her mom i think Mm -hmm. also was a sex worker but again she was she dealt with alcohol abuse and was pretty mentally ill so at six years old her mom vanishes and it leaves her as the oldest of her two brothers right and shelly at six years old had to take care of her younger brothers But I think because she was six years old and I think she had a pretty abusive relationship with her mother, her version of, quote, taking care of her younger brothers was very much tormenting them. Discipline. Yeah. But she was six years old. I think there's like a lot of impressional stuff that happened to her at that age. Eventually, obviously, this girl, you know, wasn't taking care of her siblings for a long time. I'm sure it was pretty quick to discover that their mother was missing and their father stepped in um, as long as well as their stepmom. And it seems like based on what I read that Shelly at the age of six, you know, was brought into this home where she was no longer in charge and she was very resentful. She was very resentful of her father. She was very resentful of her stepmom. And at 13, um, her mom, who was living on the streets, Sharon, was murdered. She was beaten to death. Um, and, you know, Shelly acted out. She was just a bad egg, it seems like, from the beginning. And again, we can get into that. You know, it's because of how she was raised. But, like, just she's doing crazy, weird, bad shit. Like, with her brothers, she would place shards of glass at the bottom of her brother's shoes and at 14 years Did old... Did they step in it? I mean, awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think she just, like... I think that control, and she just wanted... She just hurt people, hurt people. people. Hurt people, fucking hurt people. I would say she hurt people too much in her life. Um, she overstepped. At 14 years old, Shelly accuses her dad of rape. And, you know, this is a hard... This is a hard thing, right? Right. Because you believe survivals of sex survivors of sexual abuse when a doctor examined her they said it was a lie that is what i read and she then moves out of her home with her father and moves in with her grandparents while she's living with her grandparents she babysits the neighbors kids but when she would babysit them she would like lock them in rooms and she would use furniture to barricade the door while she was staying with her grandfather she then levels allegations of sexual abuse at her grandfather and she grows up again i, I these are not substantiated nothing has 
these accusations don't go any further than an accusation. It's a really challenging thing to talk about because, again, I want to believe survivors of sexual abuse. But based on what we know of Michelle Shelley and her personality, it's like, yeah, it's very tricky because you're like, we know a lot about who you are ended up being. And there's two different narratives that make sense. Either you're a pathological liar and you were trying to hurt people Mm -hmm. from the very beginning or people hurt you over and over again and it helped build the monster that we know you to be and it could be either way when she accused her father they found like a magazine that had the like a title like i was raped at 15 or something and it's dog-eared like they could see where she you know maybe got the idea from again she is a monster um so it's hard to feel sympathy for her at the same point in time um she was a kid and it it's clear that she's you know acting out mm-hmm. and probably needs some help maybe some early intervention would have maybe helped in mm-hmm. this situation but and this was also in the you know mid 70s to early 80s so i do think that you know at a time i don't think a lot of survivors of sexual abuse are were taken care of just in general too as well at the time right mm-hmm. which also adds which is adding it difficult to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So by 1987, she had been married once. She had two kids, Nikki and Sammy. And then she meets this guy, David. And David is this Navy veteran, and he works in construction. And so the two of them get married. And David, um, Shelly, her two kids from another marriage, Nikki and Sammy, they become a family. And from what I read, David really like takes these girls under his wings, right? He He's becomes- also a bird. He's also a bird. He is. He's a Boyd, is what you might call it. Um, They both have a daughter named Tori in 1989. And so their home in Raymond, Washington, it seems like, you know, when you looked at the girls, all three daughters, it seemed like they were always well-behaved, very well-dressed, put together. They just look like a very normal family, you know, Mm -hmm. a mom, a dad, three daughters. And it seemed like they were a very generous family where they would open up their home for people who had nowhere else to go. What you don't know is happening at this time is that the daughters are experiencing a horrible amount of abuse at their home, right? I mean, I think you see this veneer of like well put together, well behaved kids, and I think you don't see what got them to be so well behaved and, you know, so clean cut. They talk a lot about Shelly's manipulation where Shelly would like shower them with love and basically love bomb her kids and then she would in a split second turn on them she would beat them she would verbally abuse them she would do this thing called wallowing where she would force her kids to like be in dirt to strip naked and in the middle of the night to roll them out around in mud and then hose them down with cold water that was her favorite punishment was wallowing That is so intense. If they used the bathroom without permission, they would get beaten. I mean, it's just like, and, and again, like these are, this is the only thing that these poor children know, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is their mother. And so she would do this where she would, and we've seen this in abusive relationships and other cases where it's like people would be so horrible to someone. And then all of a sudden they turn on the charm and the love. That's, that's their programming. That's the manipulation. At one point, Shelly 
gets really upset at Nikki and she shoves her head through a glass door and says, look what you made me do. So if that just puts into context just like how these poor girls are being treated. Meanwhile, like I said, they are offering up space in their home to people who need it. So Shane Watson is Michelle Notex or Shelly Notex nephew. Um, he moves in with the family around 1988. So it's a little bit before Tori is born. And he moves in with them because his parents are not able to take care of him. His dad, Shelly's brother, is in jail and his mom has some financial trouble. So Shelly goes, you know, we can take Shane, you know, in on the house. And she would, of course, abuse Shane. And I think it was this really scary thing with the daughters in the house when somebody else was being abused it meant that they weren't right I yeah and so it's this really scary thing she would do things that were just like and really fucked like she would make her daughters she would make them strip naked and dance with their cousin Shane in the nude Nikki says she was just 13 when this started happening. Ugh, what is wrong with this person? This, she's beyond, it feels like she's beyond repair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at this point. And what's so scary is that, of course, the level of fear, and it feels like David in this moment is easily controlled as well. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's not standing up for these girls. These girls can't stand up for themselves. And it's becoming this like just den of horrors essentially in their right. home so in 1991 shane moves in in 1988 tori is born in 1990 1989 and then two years later this woman kathy loreno walks into their life and kathy loreno is a hairdresser she's from south bend washington and she meets michelle and michelle shelly girl she treats her so well they they become really great friends and in 1991 Shelly falls or in 1991 Kathy falls into some hard times she gets in a fight with her family her living situation is tenuous and so Shelly says please come into our home we'd love we'd love to host Get a load of what here. I do to these kids but I think because Michelle has manipulated Kathy and Kathy doesn't really have anywhere to go it's just it's just bad. And I think, again, like you see this happening and I think we see this all the time. Kat, Shelley is finding people who are easy to control and easy to manipulate. I mean, I wouldn't put it past her that that's why she had kids in the first it's place. It's a little bit like profiling for cult membership. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, who is. can I mind control? Totally. 100%. And if they're at the right place and the right time and they're the right person I know and I can they're get just ya. vulnerable enough that they need something that I can provide which is a roof over their head and so in exchange for rent for Kathy Kathy's going to help take care of Shelly's daughters and of course like Shelly's physical and emotional abuse knows no bounds so it's very quick that Kathy starts experiencing physical and psychological abuse. She would mock Kathy. She would accuse Kathy of sleepwalking and binge eating. So she would force her to take off her clothes. She would withhold food. She would take away her clothes. She would force Kathy to sleep in the boiler room. Um, I mean, and this all happens really gradually, right? Because it's the kind of thing where if this happened on week one, Kathy would have probably been like, 
no, I'm not going to take off my clothes and sleep in the well, boiler think room. think about this. She gets in a fight with her family and moves into this woman who's like, hey, free rent in exchange for helping my daughters. And you're right. It goes slowly. And I think like – It creeps in. It creeps in. And again, you like love bomb someone and then and then you start to – Ex, you know, exert your control over them. What like it, would, what like really made me uh, cringe, or what I thought was like interesting about this psychologically was it seemed mm-hmm. like she somehow makes people in her life feel like she is the be all end all. People do not fight back. Well, she finds people that won't fight back, right? Like again, I think she finds people who are who are so susceptible mm-hmm. to the love, right? Like I think you look at Shane, her nephew who comes into her home and, you know, his mom and dad, his dad's in jail. His mom can't take care of him. He's, I mean, imagine at, you know, 16, 17, like you have to go, like imagine your parents are giving you up. Yeah. Like you're just looking for love. You're looking for a Belonging family. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Kathy is the same way. She gets into it with her family and she has to leave her home. That's why it reminds me of a cult, I think. It's very much like a cult. And I think, you know, she's holding this like prized carrot of free rent of living with this family. And I think the mood swings would happen so largely. Like the amount of affection I think she would show these people. Just, you know, I it's it's really really sad and the abuse that Kathy endured it's so it's hard to describe because where the daughters are her daughters and that's all they know you have Kathy there who comes from another family who is enduring just horrific horrific abuse like Mm -hmm. Shelly would drug her with tranquilizers force her to work naked they essentially had a tool that mimicked waterboarding that they would do for Kathy. They would duct tape her arms and legs and pour bleach into open sores in her body. And the daughters are privy to this, you know? I mean, and like I said before, it's like the daughters confirm this in this book and they regret not intervening, but they do know it. They do acknowledge there was very little that they could do. And again, they do talk about this idea of like, if they were, if she was, if my mom was abusing this woman, she wasn't abusing me. Does it remind you of that horrible story you did of yeah. Sophie Likens? Yeah. 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 But again, I, I the difference with Sophie Likens is is that it was just her. Everyone in this house is being abused. Mm-hmm. Everyone. So everybody is living in abject fear and they're just happy when Shelly's eyes are not on them. Yeah. And what's so crazy about I mean, there's so many crazy things about this, but you look at pictures of Shelly and she's smiling and she looks just normal. I think that's to me what was so striking about this story is how normal she looks. Yeah. You know? According, I'm going to try to think of how I want to say this. So, okay, it's 1994 and suddenly Kathy disappears. Um, her family is trying to get a hold of Kathy because it feels like her family is still in contact with Kathy. Yeah. Kathy's not telling them any of this, what's going on. When the police go and interview Shelly and David in the Notex, they say that she ran away with a truck driver and she moved to California. And Michelle would say, keep calling her Michelle, Shelly would say that 
she since heard from Kathy and she was in contact with her. Um, but that was it. You know, it'd be like, oh, I heard from her. I heard from her. But the family hasn't. So the family, Kathy's brother, decides to hire a private investigator. And this private investigator, you know, does what he does. He investigates privately. And this <laughs> investigator comes to this conclusion. He says she was probably murdered by Shelley. That's what the private investigator that's the conclusion, which I'm like, what? Big that jump, feels man. Like such, it's a huge fucking jump. Meanwhile, do you think any gynecologists out there say that they're private investigators? <laughs> no, but I would, uh, if you did, I would go to that. I'm actually looking for a new gynecologist. So could use a little recommendation. You could use if some private investigating. If you want to be my private investigator, <laughs> hit me up. Get on hinge. Um, so get on hinge. Um, so it's around 1994. Kathy has gone missing. Shane, their nephew, is 19 years old. And after Kathy's disappearance, not too long after, Shane disappears. The no text claimed that he ran away to Alaska to work on a fishing boat and no one has heard from him since. But Carrie saw him when she was in Alaska. I did. I saw him. No, I wish I did. Honestly, can I tell yeah. you? I really wish I did. I really fucking wish I did. And that is 1994. These two people are missing. The police look into it, but it seems like they ran away to Alaska. They ran away to California. Why are these people running away? It is 2001. And in between 1994 and 2001, Sammy and Nikki, the two older daughters, they move out of the house. But Tori is home by herself with her mom and her step and her dad. Enter this guy, Ronald Woodworth. He is 57 years old, and he goes to live with the Notex after he loses his home in 1999. He is a gay military veteran who struggles with drug addiction. Again, really vulnerable, mm -hmm. needs a place to live. So in 1999, he moves in with the Notex, and it's tale as old as time. He suffers from physical and emotional abuse, psychological abuse witnesses would say that they see him doing chores outside in his underwear. There is also a story where apparently he was on the second floor of their roof. He was on the roof, second floor roof. And they forced him to jump off the roof and land on the gravel with no shoes. He has bruises. He has cuts all over his body. Um, they also say, I think her daughter says, who witnessed a lot of this abuse, would say that after this fall onto the gravel, um, Michelle would burn his feet with boiling water. She would pour bleach on these cuts and bruises. She would force him to drink his own urine. And in 2003, Ronald goes missing. At this point, Tori is 14 years old and she goes to visit her sisters who are no longer living in the house and she tells them what's happening, the abuse that Ronald is enduring. Um, and I think the three of them maybe being physically outside of the house and physically away from Shelly, I think the three of them kind of go, okay, it's now or never. It's now or never. So her three daughters, Sammy, Nikki, and Tori, Tori grabs a bunch of Ronald's belongings as evidence and they take them to the to the police mm -hmm. and they tell them what is happening in their home. The police see this evidence. They understand that this guy is missing and they're going, OK, we got to investigate. So this leads to a warrant and a search for the property. 
in this search, they find Ronald's body. Once they find his body, this blows the lid open to the other, which we now know are murders and abuses. Let's go back to Kathy. Mm -hmm. We know based on them finding Ronald's body, they did an autopsy and they discovered that it was murder. Okay. But let's go back. So David does seem to be the person now revealing what exactly happened in that house of horrors since Kathy went missing. What happened was, is they had abused Kathy so badly and they tied her up with duct tape that she got sick and he heard noises coming from the boiler room where she was sleeping. He goes downstairs. He sees her choking on her vomit. He tries to put her on her side to clear her airway, but it is too late. Kathy Loreno is dead. Around this time, 1994, Shane has been documenting the abuses on Kathy's body. He's been taking photos, and he's hoping to use this information to go to the authorities to tell on Shelly for what's been going on. What happens is, is they find out, Shelly finds out, and Shelly is so angry that she tells David, her husband, to kill Shane. She, David shoots Shane with a rifle, kills him. So now they have the two bodies of Shane and Kathy. What they do is they burn them and then they scatter their ashes at the beach. Their bodies would never be recovered. Their remains would never be recovered. All we have is David's story. Ronald Woodworth, we know, was murdered and was buried in their backyard. What's also interesting about this is that around 2002, about a year before um, Ronald went missing, Shelley was a caregiver for an 81-year-old guy named James McClintock. While she is taking care of him, he has signed over his house and his estate to Shelley at this time. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the um, caveats to her taking ownership of this home and this money was that he has this beloved dog named Sissy, who he loved, who he was obsessed with. So a part of his will was that he could... He would give all of his belongings to Shelly under the one condition that she would have to wait until after Sissy died in order to inherit mm -hmm. the inheritance, for lack of a better word. Seems like a really bad thing to tell someone like that. Feels like a... Well, I don't think he knows because no. February 9th, 2002, while she is taking care of him, he dies of head trauma from a fall at his home. And this has never been proven to be Shelly's responsibility. Mm -hmm. We cannot prove it. She says that he fall he fell. To be honest, I am obviously skeptical. Um, after he died, you don't say. after he died, the dog disappeared. Shelly says that the dog passed away, but it but a couple of months later, a little time after, they found Sissy the dog in a shelter, which to me this point confuses me. Do you know what I mean? You mean you she, have a it feels like she yes. murders people willy-nilly, but yes. she actually went to the trouble of taking the dog to a shelter? Yes. Yeah, I think because the strange. dog can't talk. I think because the dog can't talk. Yeah, she could be one of those people. She doesn't feel the same kind of rage at animals as she does at human beings. <laughs> Again, this woman is a fucking monster, and she deserves the moniker in which she is named as America's Most Evil Mother. There are people that talk about her and they say, well, we can't, you know, she was never diagnosed as a psychopath. She certainly has 
all of the fucking traits. After all of this is discovered, Shelly and Dave are arrested. Tori goes to live with her sister. At 50 years old, Shelly is charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Kathy Loreno and Ronald Woodworth. David, her husband, is charged with first-degree murder in the death of Shane Watson. Mm. And he is also and also with rendering criminal assistance and unlawful disposal of human remains. Both of them are able to negotiate a plea deal where essentially they are able to um, each get a count lower in all of their charges. And also she negotiates, she enters an Alford plea. Do you know what an Alford plea is? Yeah, it's where you say, I'm not guilty, but I will not be able to be found. There's enough evidence to make me seem guilty. Yeah, it's like I acknowledge all of the evidence the prosecutor has against me, but I'm not admitting guilt. Mm -hmm. So she enters an Alford plea. She ends up getting a second. Uh, she gets she pleads guilty to second degree murder and first degree manslaughter. While the initial agreement was to have her go to prison for 17 years, the judge who reads this case sentences her sentences her to 22 years in prison. David is sentenced to 15 years in prison for second degree murder of Shane, and he serves 13 years. He's paroled in 2016. Shelley. After 18 years in prison, is released November 8th, 2022. Yee! Her daughters are on the run. So fucking scared, man. They're so fucking scared she's going to show up at their home. I mean, I'm Her sure they all have protective orders, right? I hope so. I would assume. I mean, I hope so. Not but like, that keep her away. I mean, that's terrifying. Totally. That what is terrifying. I cannot piece, believe I... these children are put in that situation and then to have to run the risk of ever seeing this woman again. Totally. What's interesting is the book that you read, they contributed to this book and they talk about their experience. And a lot of the stuff we know is because they were brave enough to talk about their experience Mm -hmm. and make it known. Um, Shelly's was released from prison and her current whereabouts are unknown. We don't know where she is. Um, A former neighbor has said that she is in poor health. So hopefully that means she won't hurt anyone else. What's interesting about it is that Sammy and Tori, two of the daughters, have forgiven Dave. Dave, their stepfather and father, has reached out to them asking for forgiveness. Um, And they've accepted his apology. I think maybe the two of them think, hey, listen, he was just as much under her control as we were. Everyone was um, a puppet. But Nikki has not. Um, and I think, you know what? I think forgiveness is something that is not mandatory and is to be determined by the person <laughs> that has Who been harmed. So yeah. exactly. So I think while it's beautiful, Sammy and Tori were able to forgive Dave. I also respect and I think it's good for Nikki for, you know, knowing herself. Um, And I just want to leave with a quote about Dave. Um, I think this is from Sammy, which is to say, she says, the reason why my mom was able to control Dave was because why I love him. He's simply a very weak man. He lacks the strength of character. He could have found happiness in a fulfilling marriage and been an incredible husband to someone as he truly had the potential to be. Instead, his life was destroyed alongside ours. Which, you know, I think... I, I I mean, yeah, we don't I don't talk a lot much about David in this story because but he did he did shoot Shane. He did he did kill a person. He did kill a nineteen year old kid. Because someone told him to do it. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's again, it's cult behavior. It's I, you know, I doubt whether he yeah. thought of himself as having a choice. I'm not defending it. I guess I'm just uh, speaking of the psychology of it. Totally. And I think, you know, when you look at when Kathy and um, Shane were both killed in the home and the daughters were all privy to this. Right. I don't think the daughters believed mm-hmm. that Kathy went to California with a truck driver or Shane went to Alaska to go on a fishing boat. But they were convinced because Shelley told them that if they were to go to the police, if they were to tell about this abuse and these murders, that they would get in trouble, too. Right. And they believed this woman. They believed their mother. America's most evil mother. Is there anything I'm missing from the story? You read the book. I want to know. Oh, I read it a long time ago, um, maybe a couple years ago or at least a year ago. And I just remember being like so disgusted, Mm -hmm. just disgusted. It was that feeling of I think the reason I didn't cover it is to be so saturated in the story to read the book. Yeah. I was just like, get me the fuck away from you and out of here was how I like I think yeah. I threw the book when I was done with it. I was just yeah. like, get away from me. I just was so disturbing and so relentless because it's basically uh, detailing all the torture and yeah. detailing all the torture and like th- then this, then this. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And there, there's no. Yeah, there's it's just no, relentless. There's no shining light. I. I mean, to me, the shining light is the three daughters, you know, is the kids that got out and that saved it. Like, I mean, they were able to I mean, who knows what would have happened with Ronald if they would have said this, you know, 57 year old guy ran away and the police would have believed them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the two elder daughters were able to get out of the house. And, you know, when Tori was able to see them, she was able to provide necessary evidence and they were able to come up, come up with the plan. And, you know, I think them sharing the story too is so brave and yeah, it's just like a really insane story. But, you know, here we are. I had to tell you the story of Michelle Notek. She had to folks. It's her job. No one pays her for it, but it is her job right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, but also sad. Just like yeah, life. But, um, very true. I'm going to tell you the story of Delamar Vera, and I got my information from New York Times, Guardian, NBC, CNN, Tampa Bay, LA Times, Mirror, Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia Daily News, Courier Post, Kansas City Star, Herald News, Morning Call, and Times Leader. This, wow. There's a lot on it, and it's a confusing story. It's a very confusing story. Hey, it didn't need to be. Quinn? is back baby give us confusing stories let's fucking go it's confusing but here we're gonna try it we're gonna give it a whirl we'll see what happens let's start where the action is december 15th 1997 Luz cuevas is at home with a woman named carolyn correa who is i believe her cousin by marriage through her husband pedro vera her brand new baby, Delamar Vera, is upstairs asleep. It's a lot of names. Don't worry. We'll get there. We'll get her there. Her brand new worried. baby's asleep upstairs, and she is downstairs with her cousin, and she hears an explosion and a fire is in the home. Now, the fire department gets there, and Luz is trying to run into the baby's room. But when she goes there, oh. she gets burns on her hands and face and sees no baby in the crib but the fire is so bad she oh. has to run back out 
Now, the house is ablaze, and there's a fire for around 15 minutes, and they're able to put it out, but they do not find her baby anywhere. And she is screaming, I think my baby's been stolen to these firemen. Because she says to them, look, I went in the room, and from what I could see, there was no baby in the crib. And weirdly, the window was open, and I know the window had been shut in that room. And she's, you know, they have a language barrier here as well. And mm-hmm. she's trying to explain this to them. And I think that it's something that they see as a mother grieving. And they say to her, this is your nerves. Uh, this is you're so upset. You're looking for another narrative. But, you know, we think you lost your baby. And they end up uh, being looking, looking. They can't find anything. They find what they eventually think is the baby inside a baby blanket, like the baby's remains. But it's completely incinerated and by the way it's not the baby it's a piece of mattress that's burned but they eventually will say look we know we didn't recover the baby it's because it was a tiny baby they're completely obliterated by this fire she is like you're not listening to me this is the baby was stolen but they list the cause of the fire as electric wires improper use of homemade extension cord there was a uh, extension cord with a space heater attached and they say this this blew up she's like no and i want this investigated but when she looks into it she doesn't have the money that it would take to hire anybody to investigate it they, But at the same time, they don't issue a death certificate. No body was found. But you need to know that Luz is like, this baby never died. And there's a woman, Teresa, who ends up renting an apartment to Luz and her husband, Pedro, in uh, 1999 and says that they talk about their missing daughter all the time. And they speak about her in terms as though she has not died. And they speak about her in terms as they are sure that she was taken. And they move several times after this happens. And they have another baby, um, Samuel, four years later. And Pedro works as a car mechanic for a couple of years and uh, and does stocking at the Dollar Tree store. Luz stays home with Samuel, and she has a couple older children, I think by another guy uh, who's – she has like an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old. He's working at the Dollar Store. The stress of this, I, I I don't know if it was stress of this. Whatever happens, their marriage does end in 2002. But I do just want to uh, say, because I think this is of note, because the story is so confusing and there's a lot of different stories, there is somebody that worked with Pedro at the Dollar Tree and, sa- and says that Pedro all the time said, I don't think my baby's girl is dead. I think she was taken, and I think I know who did it. And the guy that says this Jesus says Pedro thought that it was somebody close to the family and he's always saying I think that this whole my house burning down was a setup something crazy happened and someone was taking my baby that night flash Mm. forward to a party that a, a birthday party that depending on who you talk to was either in January of 2003 or January of 2004. And I'll get into that discrepancy that a little a later. It does. It does make a, it okay. make a difference. But it, what happened there is this. That cousin that was there the night of the fire is at the party, Carolyn Correa. She lives in New Jersey, and she's at this party with one of her kids, her little daughter. 
they live uh, just across the Delaware River from Philadelphia, which is where Luz and Pedro live. And where the fire was. Correct. Luz is at this party and sees her cousin talking to her little daughter, who is named Aaliyah, and she's named after the singer. And Aaliyah's been sent to private school. She's been uh, groomed to be like a star. They do a lot of like beauty pageant stuff with her. And remember that Luz has not seen her baby, who went missing when she was 10 days old, sees this girl, Aaliyah, and is like, that's my daughter. She (sighs) notices that she's like, that looks like me. Those dimples look like mine. And she's just like, watching this kid, staring at her. And she says that another person at the party, totally unprompted, says to her, you know that's Carolyn's daughter, not yours. And she's like, what? Whoa. And that feeling is just stirred, stirred. When Luz would later talk about this, um, she says, I want to hug her. I want to run with her. Like she's just like drawn to this child and feels like it's her kid. So she calls her over. She's like, come here, honey, you've got some gum in your hair. And she gets out some scissors and she cuts a little bit of her hair and takes it. She brings that hair to the police. But like they're not going to just test it. They don't have a warrant for that. Yeah. So she goes to a local politician, Angel Cruz, and he listens to her story. And he's like, this is kind of a crazy story. I'm skeptical. But at the same time... The way she's telling, like, I, I also believe that she believes it. Yeah, and it's like, if we give a, what is, if we can do a DNA test to, yeah. let, it be, to let her let it lie, and 100%. like, percent. So he, with his help, they're able to get it tested, and it does show a match. That is her daughter. That's her daughter. Boom. So one thing going back to that night is that Carolyn was there when the fire broke out. She was downstairs oh with Luz. They heard an explosion. And something you should know about Carolyn's past is that she was found guilty of arson in 1996, years before that fire. She was found guilty of arson at a medical office that she worked as a file clerk at. She'd gotten laid off. And it was she got laid off because or I fired really because she was stealing checks. Because she started fire. She got fired because okay. Well, fired because like, of the fire? No, yeah, she yeah, fired yeah. them because of the fire. Gotcha. What happened was they were like, you're stealing checks, and the checks were in some closet of the medical office. She put starts a fire in it with an aerosol can to get rid of that evidence, I guess. Now, if you think about it, if she had laid an aerosol can on the space heater, she could have maybe started what seemed to be this explosion. And for the first fire, she was convicted in 1999. She only got five years probation. But this is a person who's not uh, a trustworthy lady. She's done a lot of scams and cons and uh, pretend pregnancies to get men to have to pay her money and she you know she right now owes the board of social services in burlington county like nine thousand dollars for falsely collecting public assistance not we don't love the record now when the fire happened she was dating a guy named andre moore and she had told him that she was pregnant when that fire happened And she called him the night of that fire and said, I want you to know that just a couple days ago, I gave birth 
to a baby girl. And he's like, oh, amazing. That's our baby girl. But in 1999, he requested a paternity test. Maybe he felt like she was not a very reliable narrator, too. And of course, he was not the father. What he didn't know was that Carolyn was not the, not the mother. mother. Now, when all this goes down, uh, there's not a big chase necessarily. I do know that the police show up at her house and they're kind of like, you've got to tell us what's going on. And can we see this girl? And she's like, you know, they're on the phone. She, oh, yeah, come over. And then they come over and the girl's gone. And she's like, ah, I forgot she's in the uh, Poconos. Like, uh, They're like, give us a picture of her. She gives them a picture of a different kid. She's definitely fucking with them. Um, yeah. And so they issue an alert for her arrest. She's charged with kidnapping, arson, assault, concealing the whereabouts of a child and interfering with the custody of a child. And they're like, you got to submit some DNA in this lab. And she's showing up to get DNA tested and have uh, her daughter, Aaliyah, get DNA tested. And some cop hears her in the bathroom with Aaliyah doing some weird shit. She's basically spraying something in Aaliyah's mouth and telling her not to swallow before the DNA test because they're going to test the kid's mouth. Whoa. Yeah. It, they later find out what she sprayed in the kid's mouth. Do you want to know what it was? Was it her saliva or her Yes, cells? it was her own saliva. Exactly. Wow. So. Wow, wow, wow. When they separate Carolyn from Aaliyah, who is Ugh, Delamar. This poor little girl. This poor little girl. Carolyn absolutely loses her mind. And she says to her, goodbye, this is the last time you're going to see mommy. <gasps> And Delamar gets sent to like a foster family and she hasn't even met her real mom yet. And her real mom's so nervous to meet her. They haven't, you know, and it's this little girl was growing up in a household where they speak English. Her mother barely speaks English. It's going to be like a rocky road. And her mom's uh, Luz is really nervous because when they first meet, they're in this room and Delamar hides under a table and Luz is like, fuck, she's like nervous. She doesn't want to meet me. But then she she jumps out. She jumps out from the table and goes, surprise. (laughs) And it's like, at the same time, this is just a little kid. She's a six-year-old, She doesn't get the seriousness of the situation. She just gets the the, those inner feelings that she can't even probably express of turmoil and trauma and confusion and talk about attachment disorder and feeling like you don't know your truth or believe anybody or trust anybody. And they're like, the state's kind of like, this should be a really slow process to bring these families together. But at the same time, people are like, we got to do it like a band because quick, otherwise quickly. you don't want her to be like in a foster care system and then her like maybe just go yeah that's ooh. and she was raised in a house with all these other kids these people who she thinks of as her sisters and her brothers and her grandma you know this other whole support system and family but when they're asking her you know the news gets involved of course which is not good either and they're like oh how are you and she's like i'm happy but like she's not happy she's confused no. as fuck and she's also probably like the world is telling her this is a happy ending. This is a happy story. This is you have been reunited. I'm also just like so confused of like the Car- Carrera. What is Carolina? Carolyn Carrera. Oh, and by the way, Carolyn like, Carrera, she's not with that guy, Andre Moore anymore. She's no, with a course. new guy, Brian Busardo, who thought he was raising. He was also raising this little girl. And yeah. now he is not what? allowed to see her. Because he has no connection. And but in what's his so mind, that was his step like, baby. Is like Luce and Carolyn were in the same room 
when this fire happened, Carolyn suddenly gets a baby? Did she just like stop talking to Luce completely? Like that is wild. I think that remember how Pedro was cousins, like, I think right? it's someone. No, no. Is yes, her cousin, they're right? cousins by marriage on Pedro Vera's side. And Pedro Vera, I think, by a lot of his accounts, he had seen Aaliyah a couple of times. They're not close, and like, but like he had seen her and had his blink go off a couple of times. Because remember, he at the Dollar wow. Tree was like, I think my baby was stolen, and I think it's someone I know. He kind of knew. And where the 2003-2004 thing, where that yeah. comes in, is there are two different stories. One story is that Luz was never at that 2004 birthday party. Mm-hmm. Pedro was. Right. And Pedro says that's the case. And he saw Leah and came home and told his wife. I think I saw Or his ex-wife. I think that's our kid. She did get the hair. But that happened, according to a lot of people, in 2003. Why people don't like that story and why it makes a difference is if she thought that was her kid and she cut hair from her, why did she wait a year before going to the police? Now, I don't think it's... And then it became a story of it was tidier for her to say it had just happened timeline-wise. I don't think that it needs to be harped on the way it has been because I don't think any of us can understand how she felt. No one was helping her. People were constantly telling her she was crazy and that her kid was dead. And I think if she hung on to that hair for a year, she shouldn't be maligned for that. And we shouldn't go, oh, well, that's suspicious. Nothing is suspicious. This woman lost her baby. Yeah, I don't feel weird about that at all. Well, what's, what's interesting is in this mess, Carolyn is saying to everybody, I didn't take that baby. That's my baby. In fact, I'll use my own money to get a second DNA test, I'm so sure. And she does. Wow. And of course, it's not your baby. It's it's this is Della Marvera. It's not Aaliyah. Um, but the the mental constitution is obviously put yeah. into question. And Andre Moore, who again was with Carolyn at the time of the kidnapping, says, I don't know who to believe. I don't know who's credible. It's a mystery. Now I'm trying to figure out the method behind the madness. Because he says, I thought she was pregnant. Then she shows up with a baby. It all made sense to me. And you say, how did this happen? How did this happen firewise? Yeah. That they were able to decide this kid was dead when they didn't find anything. And apparently they found some bones at the fire, but then they tested them. They were non-human. And they had dumped a bunch of debris from this gutted bedroom into the yard after the fact, and they sifted through it, and they found dry wool particles, which look like human ashes. But what's crazy is that they only look like ashes when a fire burns for a thousand at a thousand degrees for an hour. This fire was like 15 minutes. So do you think she staged it? Do you think she put or did it, maybe it was just coincidence? Here's the thing. She's not going to ever end up being accused of the fire. And the reason why is that they already had determined that the fire was accidental. They're not going to go back and say it was her, even though she has a history of arson, even though she ended up with the baby that was upstairs. It's a very complicated case. Um, Her lawyer, this guy Zucker, is like, doesn't know what to do with it. He gets the case. He's like, maybe we're going to plead insanity because 
I think maybe what happened is she was pregnant and then she lost the baby. She had a miscarriage or something. And the trauma of it was that she then went and got this baby, but had uh, this postpartum mental illness where she thought it was her baby. Like she she did a thing to fix it where she was like, it is my baby. And the truth is that in there's all these stories that come out where people are saying, well, she has had a lot of miscarriages. In 2001, she had a baby with a heart defect and then it died. Yeah. It ends up they don't go to trial because she pleads. Yeah, she pleads no contest. I was like, I thought they were going to. Okay, gotcha. I was like, okay, let's let's make sure people get punished. But oof. Well, so amidst all this, Lifetime says we're going to make a movie about it. But Mm -hmm. they're a little nervous because Carolyn during this time is saying, I had a co-conspirator and I'm going to name them. And it's very nerve wracking for everybody because obviously Carolyn doesn't seem like somebody we can trust. And but but by the same token, she must have worked with somebody. If she was downstairs when the explosion happened, who was upstairs? Who got the baby? Who moved the baby? Like this doesn't feel lighting the fire and getting the baby out of there doesn't feel like a one man job. It no. doesn't. It could have been, but it doesn't feel like it is. So then when she goes to court, she publicly says, I'm going to tell you who helped me. It was Pedro Vera, the dad. He's the one that helped me, the biological father. No. He took the baby out of the house and put it in the car seat in my car. I already had a car seat in there because I was pregnant at the time. And then he came to my house a few times to see her over the years. Now, this cannot in any way be corroborated. So the issue of an accomplice, which people think she had remains open wow 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 now they were gonna go the route remember in in court of they didn't end up doing this if uh you know she's crazy she thought she was pregnant she she was pregnant she lost the baby she thought it was her baby but they can't go that route and the reason why they can't is she had a tubal ligation (laughs) They in like 1990, like do. years and years before. They always do. The pregnancy was fake. It's like a fetal abduction situation. It's not totally. fetal abduction. Uh, or it is. Well, it, it is. It's baby it is. abduction. I mean, it's baby. It's, it's not a fetus. kidnapping, but yeah. <laughs> but she even, she you know, she really knew what she was doing. She's a con artist. She made a fake birth certificate. Like, and. Whoa. Car- the fact that Carolyn called her husband that day to say. Oh, by the way, I, I gave birth, like, right after taking this baby. There's no, that you can't write that coincidence, especially, no. that's insane. And <coughs> Carolyn's so off, man. She's in the court and she's like, I I just want to apologize for the confusion. <laughs> the judge Carolyn, was like, the, con- the, confusion. the confusion? He says, what confusion? You robbed, he says, you robbed a small girl of a very great deal. I mean, she robbed everybody. These people didn't get to see their and baby. And what you learn did, how the trauma that you're putting that child through at six years old, the trauma. Like, thank God the child went back to the family, but like that poor kid, the poor yeah. kid. So Carolyn is sentenced to nine to thirty years in prison. Um, and the vibe is, people say, "Look, yes, she has depression, but she's not crazy. She's manipulative. That's what she is." And the whole case, though, the reason why I say it's complicated is that everyone ends up. Everyone's exes and Mm -hmm. everyone's in contentious ex relationships and everyone is making up lies about each other. Wow. So even though we can't trust Carolyn at all, 
it comes to be that we can't really trust anyone. We can't trust Pedro. We can't trust Luz. And I'm not saying everything's made up. I'm just saying they start pointing fingers all around at each other where, you know, what ends up happening is Pedro, Vera, and Luz, they're in a fight, a custody battle for Delamar. And he has been accused of helping kidnap the baby by Carolyn and being having an affair with Carolyn. Now, Luz... Who's had wait? Who's of having an affair with Carolyn? Carolyn says I was I slept with Pedro and he helped kidnap the baby. He wanted me to have the baby. I didn't know that she said she slept with him. Isn't that her cousin? Through marriage, but still. Well, and then Luz says, "Oh well, you know, my my ex Pedro. He once told me he wished the baby girl in my belly died." And actually, oh in 1997, God. he didn't want to investigate her disappearance. And he was like, and he's denying allegations from Carolyn. He's denying allegations from Luz. Um, and he's the one saying, Luz isn't even telling you the truth about this party. I was the one at the party. The host at the party says that's true. Luz was not the one at the party. He was. She was at a party in 2003. Jesus. Um, but I have to say, Luz's lawyer says people don't remember things exactly the same it's wrong to focus on the victim if someone's a victim why ask if they should have caught it sooner and that's i do agree with that i agree Uh, on top of uh their issues with a woman stealing their baby pedro and luz now also sue the city because they're like you told us our kid was dead yeah how did that happen yeah there's an interview of Carolyn while she's in prison. And she's like, you know, Delamar was, it, it's been unfair that I was painted as a monster. Um, you know, really what happened is that she saved me because I lost my child. And I just feel like, this is what she says, and I, got, I just feel like I got the bad end of the stick. They put me out there to be a monster, but I'm a loving person. If I could do something for you, I'd do it. I could have two soups in my bins, and even though I know I have to eat tomorrow, I'd give away that soup. And I'm like, what are you talking about you'd give away soup? You kidnapped a baby. A and child. the idea that you saved each other? <sighs> she has so it's many fake so pregnancies. Gross. You just can't believe anything she says. Oh but my God! The real drama of this, the real fallout, was that we haven't gotten to the real drama, the real fallout. We're well, just I would getting just say, to it. So well, what I would say is that, like, yes, all this happened, but like I said, uh, it's it's you want it to be a simple story. It often is presented as a simple story. It's often presented as this girl got reunited with her family, and can you believe it? But this was really traumatizing. This was really really difficult, and. Ugh. She went home and her mom called her Aaliyah, but sometimes called her Delamar to try to like wean her into the new name. And like she's doing the best she can. They're both doing the best she can. And I listened to a podcast called Crime Show that interviewed an adult Delamar Vera. Wow. And she was like, if you see something about me, it's probably bullshit, basically, because the story didn't end there, of course. And it was traumatic. And I was not able to deal with it because I was in a house where someone else had experienced a trauma as well. And we were basically in a situation where she says that the way she was raised by Carolyn was very um, hands off. 
that the grownups were out of the house and the kids were raising her and they yeah. were all kind of misbehaving and she had a lot of behavioral stuff. So when she moved in with Luz, she felt like Luz had this idea of, I lost my daughter, but I'm disappointed in who my daughter is. Mm, and so imagine so that feeling like because she had all this behavioral stuff. So they're they're. Luz is trying to control her, and the more she tries to grab control, the more Delamar, like, backs away. And they're yeah. chasing each other in this game oh. where nobody can win, and no. they're not connecting. And she ends up running away and dropping out of school. And then because she drops out of school, social services gets involved. Wow. And Delamar ends up in a group home at 14 years old. What? So she loses her, like, Luz lost her once. She loses her again. She's only home for like eight years and then she is gone again. And what ends up though, I oh, will give that's you horrifying. Well, so now we can come to the happy ending, is the good okay. news because her being away from her mom and not being in charge of worrying about anybody, anybody's trauma but her own. She yeah. has time to heal and she starts to climb these mountains and have these successes where she gets a job and she gets a place to live and she's in therapy and she's working on herself and she and her mom are able to reconcile. And now oh. as an adult, they have a really good relationship. And oh. so they got there. They did get there, but it is not, it was not as I, I know that the lifetime movie was, um, like the happy ending is I have my baby back no. and that wasn't the happy ending and it never is and well, it was so much more that, complicated like, whenever there's reuniting like that it's like we see the like oh that's nice but like you don't see the fucking struggle like when people mm -hmm. get reunited with their family whether it's like Elizabeth Smart or with any it's like Kara Robinson it's like you can't you can't you, you can't yeah. even fathom what that is that's mm -hmm. wild oh my gosh thank you for telling that story yeah of course. Um, well, thank you for listening. And thank you, dear readers. And, thank you, dear readers. Um, if you can't wait till next Friday, goodness knows you can always join Patreon. Join Patreon. But and, if not, we'll see you next Friday. Yeah, if not, don't stress. We'll be here. We're back, baby. Bye.